You Can Mentor is a podcast about the power of building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. Every episode will help you overcome common mentoring obstacles and give you the confidence you need to invest in the lives of others. You Can Mentor. Hey, today is our second episode in our Mentoring Activities series. We are talking about emotional activities to implement in your mentor relationships, the benefits, the barriers, and the practicals. We hope today's episode gives you or your organization value. So if so, let us know about it. Leave us a review, rate the podcast, and share this episode with someone you think would benefit from the content. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the You Can Mentor podcast. My name is Steven, and I am here once again. The The reviews were raving about Beth Winter's first appearance on the podcast as a host last week. And, and so I just want to so say, Beth you. Beth, you are loved. You are blessed and highly favored, and people, people want more Beth. Well, here I am, <laughs> ready to deliver. <laughs> Oh man, well, I'm I'm excited about continuing our series about mentoring activities. We want 2021 to be a year of health and growth for your mentoring relationships and we are talking about today emotional activities for mentors and mentees. And so, we're going to talk about the benefits of emotionally connecting with the child you're mente- men- menteeing, <laughs> you're mentoring as as well as the barriers to their emotional health and growth. And then some practicals on what what is an emotional activity? I'm like, do are we just gonna watch the Titanic like <laughs> and just cry? Like mm. I, I mean, I guess crying would probably be a good activity to do with your your mentee. Not like forced. Yeah. I don't know if it counts if it's forced. Please don't make your mentees cry yeah. purposely. Well, I mean, is is that is there is there a way we can make them cry intentionally? I don't know. Hmm. I mean, maybe like encouraging them so so well yes that always on. works for you like you always get the waterworks going when oh you do my that. gosh I'm so emotional <laughs> but I yeah I mean I I think I think that's a that's a that's a goal to make your mentee cry I, I mean it seems counterintuitive and that's why I think it needs to be the point of this podcast because most of these things it's it's what the people want to hear Beth so no I'm joking <laughs> Probably not, but but let's talk about emotions. And and I know I, I mean Beth talked so much about oxytocin last week, and I just encouraged her to to leave you know that scientific mumbo jumbo mm-hmm. out out of this one because yeah, it's I all mean, about the heart this time. Yes, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, are there any scientific things about the heart that you'd like to share in this episode? Well, I'm more of a brain girl, so I don't really know about the heart. Okay. Well, I know the Lord says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Mm. And I think that has something to do with our emotional health, just in how we relate with one another. So that is good. But yeah, that's not in the I don't know if that's scientific. Yeah. I also think that Jesus was talking about the brain when he was talking about the heart, because they weren't really sure on the whole, you know, biology thing. I think it was like this. The I'm sure Jesus is more <laughs> what they were <laughs> culturally referring to. 
but you know, if, if Jesus was God, surely he would have known that. So, but he was so willing to meet them where they were at. He talked to them in their language mm. so that they would understand. Wow. And that's what you're going to do for your mentee. That's mind blowing. That I'm going to have to study that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Benefits of emotional activities. So what, what we mean by emotional activities are, are really, are you promoting the emotional health of your mentee? Are you helping them process their emotions? Are you helping them understand and grow in empathy? Are you connecting with them on an emotional level? Something that you, you probably understand children like don't understand. Uh, like I'll, I'll talk about my son, Ben on an emotional level. When he smacks me in the face, he has no idea that it hurts me. He just loves doing it. Like mm -hmm. he, he has no emotional capacity to understand how his actions affect me. And I don't, I, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm, I'm actually kind of sad about it when, when it comes down to it. Like, I, I've looked at him and be like, ow! And he just, like, keeps doing it. And I'm like, mm. why, why don't you love me? And it's like, oh, because you're seven months old. Yeah. Now, for me, as Ben grows older, if he continues to do those things that hurt me mm -hmm. and doesn't learn that he lives in an environment where he's been and everything else is affected by his actions and and vice versa if he doesn't learn how to interact within the world as a being he's probably not gonna have friends yeah and i don't know what else about him he's, he probably won't have a job that's a great that's a great point or a wife he won't understand expectations that others are placing i was like what what do you what do you have to do with me yeah and what do i have to do with you and so when we talk about emotions, that's what we're seeking to develop. This is a natural thing that happens physiologically. Like you just learn as you grow that you're your own person and you start to recognize other people. You start to recognize issues and problems and you have to learn how to live in the world. Mm. And so emotional activities for mentors, what are the benefits of doing it? Well, I would say the, the first thing is just resilience. And Beth was kind of talking about this before we got on the podcast, but just a child's ability to persevere through difficult circumstances or challenges is contingent upon their emotional health. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about one of the girls I have mentored and one of the best days of my life was a day that I knew she was going through something really hard that took a lot of bravery for her and she didn't call me because I she didn't need me and she had gotten to a place where she could handle that on her own she had the confidence to know that I can do this hard thing and like I am my own person and I have developed these skills to cope whenever that anxiety rises in me and so like she was like a 20 year old person so you know, your seven-year-old kid you might be mentoring is not going to be there. But I think it's it's a cool goal to have to realize that you're teaching these things to a kid for the for them to have this in independence someday of recognizing I can go through the hard thing. I don't have to, I am not alone. But even if I was, I would be okay because I have I have this confidence in myself that I can do this. I've done it before. I can do it again. I got this. So w would you say? Um, I mean, emotional health leads to self-confidence mm -hmm. it leads to I, I guess the the main thing you said was independence like that that the goal is that you would be self-sufficient in dealing with the issue the everyday issues of life and i, I know that sounds 
weird because living in a Christian culture, you're we're like always talking about dependence. Right. Like we want to depend upon God and depend upon others, and mm-hmm. we we just want to surrender. But really, like for a kid to grow in independence is like a very positive thing. Yeah, it's like for a kid, I think of it maybe as maybe I'm going on a road trip with a kid and like I'm I'm driving the car the first time and they're just along for the ride but then I'm teaching them the the map to get from here to there and eventually they are not going to need me to get from here to there they are learning how to do that for themselves how to calm down how to build friendships how to respect other people how to process their stress do I want them to call upon me for that and do I still have a role in that Yes, but I don't want to create dependence on me because I am not the savior. They are a person that God created for purpose and for productivity. And it is my job to help make them confident to walk in those things. That's really good. And so, I mean, a mentor is looking to do activities and have conversations that enable the kid they're mentoring to be independent. Yes. And I, th- I think every mom that hears us say that is really excited because they're like, <laughs> yes, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. Hopefully. Yes. Um, uh, another benefit is just, uh, and there's a lot of, I mean, circles that talk about this, but emotional intelligence. Like, we all know people who are low on the emotional intelligence uh, scale. scale. <laughs> I, I don't know if there's a scale, but you can feel it when you're in the room yeah. with someone who's just, they don't read the room. Mm-hmm. Like they don't understand how to relate mm-hmm. um, with others. And, and emotional intelligence is probably one of the, the greatest indicators of like success. Yeah. Like I, I read a study that said that it's a, it's a greater, a greater, it's a twice as good indicator than IQ like which everyone usually thinks of as just mm-hmm. like your general intelligence, but emotional intelligence will really show you if a, if a kid's going to be successful or not. Mm. And obviously the word successful has a lot of connotations like what does that mean? Does that mean like they're making a lot more money? But I would say success is just they're healthy. And, and it's not just what I know that makes me healthy, but it's really what I do with what I know and how I respond Mm -hmm. because of what I know and, and all of those things that are like the soft skills Mm -hmm. and not necessarily just the the hard knowledge, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like kids who are going to college to, to learn skills that they don't know. Like I went to college for a marketing degree. I feel like I learned so much more about how to relate with people Mm. in college. Not saying that I was like the most social like person who went to college not to learn something. But I feel like really college is weird. Like why do we go to college <laughs> when we're like 18 years old and yeah. have no idea what we want to do with our lives? It's because we need reps in mm-hmm. relationships and emotional intelligence and responsibility in learning how to transition from mom's doing my laundry to now I have to do it. Mm-hmm. like dad's paying for everything to now I have to get a job. Like it's this transitional period that's more about me becoming independent and the emotional, like relational things that I'm learning, the social things that I'm learning in that season, more than just, you know, the nuclear 
physics. Yes, something. that that stuff. Which maybe that was helpful for the guy who actually graduated with that degree. I dropped out <laughs> of that class. So, but there there's so much more than just academics. Yeah. Like and and one of the the benefits, or or I think the the challenges is that when people look at child development, they focus more on the academic side than the emotional development side. Right. And so if a kid's getting A's. Yes, that's 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 great. But are they actually interacting in healthy ways with the people that are in their classroom? Mm -hmm. And are they dealing emotionally with their stuff in productive manners? Yeah. Well, and with kids from hard places, like I think um, maybe that's a concept that hasn't necessarily trickled down to this community yet, because I think for so long, academics has been like the ticket out. Um, Mm -hmm. It's been seen as if I if there's it's either entertainment or academics. Like one of those two things is going to be my ticket out or my son's ticket out of this life. And so I think the world kind of shifting, it's a great opportunity for mentors to give their mentees a leg up and shifting along with the world and recognizing the importance that emotions actually play in success later on in life, helping them build those skills now. Yeah. And so even just to go back, like what is an emotion? Beth, what would you say an emotion is? Uh, a feeling, I guess. And what is a feeling? Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Can I list but it's, it's some like, of it? But a feeling, a feeling is a response. You yes. touch me, I felt that. Right. It's a response to yeah. some kind of stimuli. Right. And Emotion's like a language in itself hmm. of explaining what's what's going on inside of us. So... If you're not able to explain how you're experiencing or feeling, then you're not able to be understood. Right. But then if that's the case, then more likely than not, you're not able to understand anyone else. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you're like in this emotional purgatory Mm -hmm. where you're experiencing the world, but you don't know why you feel the things you feel. You can't articulate them and you couldn't recognize those things in someone else. Right. Like I could have all the right credentials on paper. I could have all A's, tons of money, like all the things that look good on paper. But if I can't understand how to have a good conversation with the person across the table from me, I can only go so far in life. Yeah. Another benefit to um, emotional activities within your mentor relationship, which we're going to get into practicals of just how to do that, would just be the skill of self-control, which, I mean, it's a fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Okay, show off. I mean, I know the Bible, <laughs> but but the, the fruit of the spirit is self-control. Mm. And usually, I mean, at, at least in man- conversations self-control is always like talking about masturbation yeah and it's like god's giving me self-control over these negative temptations that are trying to steal my life or Mm -hmm. rob me from god's best for me and i i like thinking about self-control as well i think i'm that makes sense right i understand that but i think also self-control as the the ability to process the stimuli that I'm receiving and my understanding reflects within how I live, how I react, what I think, what I believe about Mm -hmm. the world. And 
and that really the desire for the Spirit being in my life from a, from a biblical worldview is that God's Spirit is within me. He knows every thought, intention, and desire of God, and He's making those things known to me. And, and so it's like God is casting a vision for me to follow Him as I respond to the world. And if God is in influencing my response my actions, my obedience will be worship to him, mm -hmm. will be pleasing to him. And the whole idea behind my need for God's spirit is that I've been separated, that I don't know how to respond or who to say yes to, who to say no to, what temptation, what, yeah. what's, a, what's good and what's bad. And so I'm left in this, this really, I mean, it's just sin. And I think we need to get away from just thinking about masturbation. We need to get to this place where all of life, there are opportunities for us to, to feel a desire and to, and to not respond to it rightly, not recognize mm -hmm. what's really within me, like and what God's calling me to. That self-control is so much more than, than the, I think, the things that we just focus on right. that relate to it. I mean, self-control is like anger. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I respond when something really negative happens, what is God's vision for how I should respond? Yeah. And how does my emotional health relate within that experience? Yeah. I, I feel like I've been preaching too much, so <laughs> I'm going to stop. Well, I think that's really good to even just with, like, to literally tell your mentee that God made all of the emotions. And so learning self-control is, is the next step of what to do with this gift that God has given you, which is emotions. But I think especially as kids are getting more serious about their faith, even emotions can feel like a burden or like something that is wrong with them. Um, it can feel like sin. If I'm, if I'm having anger, I'm going to, I could feel sinful. And so I think even just teaching kids that there is value in emotions, God made them for a reason and saw beauty and saw that they were good. But then he also gave us this gift of being called up into self-control and that the gifts that have been given to us can be used foolishly or they can be used predictively for a purpose. Yes. And so in summary of what I said, which was not very clear. So <laughs> let me just summarize that self-control is the ability to utilize emotional responses for the glory of God. Yeah. And that every emotion that we feel has a God intended response that he's trying to get at. Mm. And if we don't have emotional health, we'll never be able to walk in it. Right. A redeemed version of every emotion. Come on. Even, well, and this is weird, but even shame. Shame is an emotion that we mm -hmm. feel. In in Christian circles, shame is like, ooh, that's not of God and, mm -hmm. and all this stuff. But, I mean, honestly, I think there are positive things that can come from a sense of shame. Yeah. Like, because we do something wrong, God's wanting to correct something within us. And, I mean, it's just like, if my arm got cut off and I felt no pain right. and had no response physically to it, that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Like if I stuck my hand in fire and yeah. my hand didn't burn, th the fact that I'm feeling something is a really good, mm -hmm. a good thing. But how that feeling leads to an action is the area that we yeah. get messed up. Yeah. Bring it all into balance. <laughs> <laughs> Let me share this. Just... In, in terms of self-control, self-regulation goes, goes with self-control. And, and self-regulating is a skill that children learn how to 
live and react to problems and issues and trials that they face throughout their life. And, and it's funny, when a child is younger, their response to negative stimuli is to hide themselves from it. And so it's, it's kind of like if I'm scared, I'm closing my eyes. If I hear something bad, I'm closing my ears so I don't have to hear it. Mm-hmm. And as you develop and grow, you learn that I don't just have to avoid every negative stimuli. I have to learn how to process and understand and overcome negative stimuli that, that maybe a kid is a kid is facing because of the environment they live within. There may not be getting around some negative stimuli. You have to learn a coping mechanism. You have to learn how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And it's the same way in marriage. I have to learn, well, and maybe this is too much, but it's like, Katie, like there are some things that aren't going to change about Katie. Mm-hmm. And am I willing to compromise or cope with those things, the things that I can't change about her that maybe rub me the wrong way? Like the, okay. So well, let's hear it. I'm let's hear it. For some reason in my bathroom, all of my stuff has to be put away. <laughs> like it has to, has to go behind the mirror, has to go in the drawer, has to go under the, the thingamajiggy. Um, mm-hmm. All of her stuff has free reign. <laughs> like her toothbrush, her makeup, her, all, all of this stuff. Now, obviously I'm showing my emotional response in the way that I'm mm-hmm. talking. Mm-hmm. Am I willing to cope with this I mean, this truth, this fact that really my stuff is never going to have the same um, staying power as her stuff within our restroom, our, our, ba- our restroom, our bathroom. <laughs> or am I, is this like a non-negotiable for me? Mm-hmm. And am I just going to tirelessly fight for things that will never, never happen? Like my gel being left on the sink, my, my mustache comb like yeah, you need one of those all of all of those things like I have to learn how to cope with that and if I don't cope my marriage is not going to work out mm. does that make sense it does of all the examples that is really not what I was <laughs> expecting but <laughs> all this negative stimuli in my household it's, it's really crazy um, no but that makes sense because like even um I can think of a lot of examples with kids um where you just Sometimes you just have to say, like, that is how it is. Like, I cannot change that for you. And that is not what a kid wants to hear from you. They came to and told you this thing that's bothering you, bothering them because they want you to fix it. So it's not necessarily a comfort when the mentor says, I can't fix that. But it is a part of life. And so having those conversations um, and being okay with telling your kid, I cannot fix that one for you, but I can, you know, be with you, help you learn how to cope with it. Let's come up with a strategy of how to just make it bother you less or, you know, just deal with it. That's something we can do. So you're hitting on, because I see this all the time. If a kid shares an issue, the mentor's first response is, let me solve it for you. Totally. And what you're saying is there may be another way of looking at it to where I can help the kid process and cope with the issue they're facing or maybe help them problem solve Mm -hmm. in order to understand the issue or address it. Yeah. I mean, one of those things may in the short term benefit the kid, which is you just solving the problem for them right then. But if you just ask them some questions 
in response and help them solve it for themselves, that's teaching them a skill that they can carry and build upon the rest of their lives to be able to, for themselves, fix the issue or figure out a way to be okay with the issue. So let's make it practical. What would you, what would be your advice for my situation? <laughs> I would focus on being grateful <laughs> for your beautiful, amazing wife, Katie. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. You're so right. You're so right. Oh, man. And maybe like buy more aesthetic beauty products. So maybe they, they look nicer mm. if they're left out. Because that is a thing. Like women's beauty products just look nicer. They're designed for for us. To be shown off. Yeah. Yeah. My hair gel is like green. <laughs> it's, it's like what in the world is yeah. that? That makes perfect sense. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, That's a very good strategy to help me cope and change. <laughs> so it's exactly what I wanted. So really the benefits of emotional activities are <clears throat> helping a kid develop emotional intelligence, which really what we mean by that is that you're helping them be aware you're helping them understand, you're helping them in their ability to express and manage their own emotions. And so in, in a way, just as the, the Holy Spirit is, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control, a, a mentor really helps. If they're doing emotional activities that promote emotional intelligence, they're helping a child gain self-control. Mm -hmm. So I love that. We've kind of talked about it, but problem solving is something that kids learn rather than focusing on the negative stimuli and how can I avoid it, kids move as they develop into problem-solving mode of like, mm -hmm. okay, how can I address the issue that I'm facing? And so really, if you help a child under or have emotional health, they'll be able to problem-solve better. Mm -hmm. But let's, let's move to the barriers. Barriers to emotional health and barriers to emotional activities in general. So what's... What's your thought? What's a barrier? My first thought is if I'm mentoring a kid, their greatest barrier in our relationship for them developing emotionally is my availability to process my own emotional health. So the limit to which I will d dive into that for myself is setting the limit for them to even be able to process that with me. Because like what I don't want to explore, they don't have an invitation to explore. So I am the lid. So if you're not emotionally aware, right. if you're not emotionally intelligent, what chance do they have right. to receive emotional help from you? Right. Because even if they wanted to have those conversations, if I shut it down or I just don't even, maybe it's not that I want to run away from it, but I literally have never spent the time to think about that for myself. I have nothing to give to them. So it's important to, to work on that in myself first. I'll say from a male perspective, emotional conversations are the most difficult. Mm. I would much rather go play basketball than talk about someone's heart. Totally. And so, and I was talking to Zach about this the other day. It's like, really, if you're a kid from a hard place, probably one of the greatest things you'd need is someone to help process your emotions and your experience mm -hmm. if you've had adverse childhood experiences. Mm -hmm. And so, it's like the, the thing a kid needs most is the thing that's hardest for me to do as a mentor. Mm. And that's a huge barrier Yeah. if I'm unwilling to do what's hard. Yeah. Well, and the research has shown that boys in particular, it is hard, especially if it's a face-to-face -face conversation. 
that is not something that anybody <laughs> in that room wants to just talk about emotions. So doing an activity together while intentionally talking about an emotional conversation is like the recommended route for that. It's awesome. We were talking about a barrier is just practically Maslow's hierarchy of needs that, that really a, a kid from a hard place is more focused on survival than emotionally connecting with those around them. And so when it, when it comes to emotional health, that is low on the priority list if you have a lot of other issues going on in your life. Yeah. Though possibly having emotional health would promote your ability to respond and cope and problem solve mm -hmm. with the other issues that you're facing. And so mm -hmm. that's, that's really difficult. Yeah. It's kind of like, I just picture this might be a terrible example, but I, I'm picturing like if, if I were out in the ocean and I'm drowning and my doctor runs up and he's like, oh, hey, by the way, you have cancer. We got to get this. We got to operate on this. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. But like right now I'm actually drowning. So let's focus on getting me out of this water and then we'll tackle that huge issue over there. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what I think of with that. We already mentioned this next one, but just the focus in childhood development, a barrier can be just what are we prioritizing? And so in the school, it may be academic achievement. In the home, it may be good manners mm. and some kind of like physical thing that you can see, like, will you fall in line? And something we say a lot around these parts is like recognizing the needs behind the deeds and the, uh, the emotional side of it is like the, the barrier is the deeds that we see, the things that kids are doing. Really, there's an emotional response underneath that. It's like the reason for why they're doing what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And if we're not willing to dig deeper and see that, then we're, we're not helping them address the actual issue. Yeah. We're just addressing the symptoms. Yeah. Well, just in general, like with anything, it's, it's easier to fix problems that are concrete, that are just right there in your face. Like if a kid is failing, there's an F on the report card. It's really easy to see right there. But with emotional things, sometimes it's a little more abstract and it's harder to quantify. It's harder to wrap your head around what does success even look like for this? I don't even know the next step of a practical way to get them from here to there. So it's like, it's just a little more difficult without intentional thought than just telling a kid, okay, we're going to tutoring next week. That's what we're doing. And then the next week, you got to be on the test and I'm satisfied with that. So that's a little simpler. Yeah, it's like, it's hard to to track emotional things. Yeah. And, and it, I mean, it's kind of like doing ministry. It's really hard to track people like and their their progress because mm -hmm. people are so complicated and I think emotion emotional lives are complicated. Like you don't arrive right. in any of this. It's all skills that you grow in. We're going to fail. I'm going to have an emotional response that's negative right. tomorrow or possibly during this conversation. <laughs> and and I, I think that that makes it difficult, mm -hmm. like, because it's not just blanket. Okay, we learned how to change a tire. Yeah. Now you always know how to change a tire. It's yeah. we're in the process. This is the place where. Yeah. And it requires like constant maintenance. Yes. Versus it being a one and done. Yeah. Yeah. Like Tom Hanks, Castaway, him being alone by himself on a godforsaken island because his FedEx plane, <laughs> like, crashed. 
praying for you, FedEx. He loses his mind mm. because in a way he's not able to interact and emotionally connect with anyone. And there's an atrophy that happens if we're not constantly working to be growing emotionally. Yeah. So that's a very weird illustration, but eventually yeah. people are going to, I mean. I mean, it's kind of relevant with like COVID and all the isolation. There's, you know, more emphasis all of a sudden. People are realizing how important relationships are and emotional, like, oh, wow, I am much more emotionally unhealthy than I realized because all of a sudden this relationship's gone and boom, all this is in my face. I'm dealing with it by myself. So it is kind of relevant. That was a better example. <laughs> okay, let's talk about practicals. So aside aside from watching Titanic and uh, making your mentee cry, what are some practicals that we could do, Beth? I never approved making your mentee cry. That's on Steven. I am not <laughs> attaching my name to that. <laughs> Just saying. Well, I, I think that the easiest practical and honestly, this is intuitive for, for most people. Like, you know, the question that someone asks you when you haven't seen them, like in a day, you're like, how are you doing? Mm. I mean, very trivial question. Yeah. If you're not actually wanting to know how someone is doing, but asking that question could be a great starting place for a, a mentor. And so one of the things that we focus on is checking in. And so a, a great place to start for a mentor Wanting a practical way to emotionally engage with their mentee is to check in with them. Mm -hmm. What do I mean by check in? I mean, since you last saw them, how can you reconnect and show that you want to know what's been going on with their life since you last saw them? So this is a useful structure. It's just three things. Reconnect with your student after you, you spend time apart from your mentee. Reconnect with them. How do you do that? Ask them questions. Try to learn what's going on in their life and what's going on in their mind. Yeah. And so that could be like, hey, well, what, what did you learn at school? Or how's it going at home? And obviously some of those questions you'll realize that real quick when you're talking to a kid, they really love yes or no questions because mm -hmm. they can get out of talking. Mm -hmm. And so you have to be very careful in how you word questions. I don't, I don't know if you've experienced that, Beth. Oh, yeah. I usually find myself having to like reword the question like five times before I get a real answer. <laughs> so and like if somebody, if I ask them, how are you doing? I'm going to get good every time. And because that's where they want to leave the conversation. And so I have to ask, well, tell me what is good about school. And then tell me what's been hard about school. So just breaking it down. How, I mean, how many questions rephrased, how many questions can you rephrase before you get discouraged, Beth? Before, like personally? Yes. So like you're digging, like mm. trying to care. And you're like, child, I'm trying <laughs> to care about you. Help me out. Like when mm. when do you get discouraged? How many questions do you have to rephrase before you you just give up? I I probably will ask, I want to say my average is like six questions. I don't know if that's good or bad. I don't think we have. Uh, that sounds amazing to me. But I probably will ask around five or six. And then after that, I'll be like, well, I love to hear about what's going on in your world. So if you want to tell me more about it, you know where I'm at. I think that's a great practical because more often than not, because the emotional conversation is the most difficult, mm -hmm. I think a lot of the times we'll just take their word for it. It's like, you said good. Yeah. So we talked about our emotions. Like, yeah. But the, the act of digging deeper 
like what's an additional question? Like how could you dig deeper and yeah. help them articulate what's going on? Because that's giving them reps in that the practice of recognizing their emotional life. And so I, I would say if you're asking six questions, that's that's pretty awesome. I, I would I think recommend that's invasive. I don't know. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Well, <laughs> yeah, I guess that that is something to like recognize is like what is helping the kid recognize when we care versus what makes them feel safe. It's like we can't be overly invasive yeah. and like force ourselves. It, it's like there's a door. Yeah. The kid can let us in or not. But if we knock the door down, it's going to be really hard for us to build trust and just like. Is it about me or is it about them? Mm -hmm. I think that's probably a, a better question to ask. Yeah. Am I trying to figure out what's going on in your life because I need to know? Right. Or am I trying to help you discover how you're, how you're feeling mm -hmm. and help you process your day? My hope at the end of any of those conversations is not that every single time I ask a kid those questions that I'm going to get an answer that day that's really impactful and I'm like, wow, this is so good. We're getting somewhere. But at least that kid knows that I will stop for him and ask him those questions. And so there will eventually be a day that if you keep doing this with your mentee, that they are going to want you to ask those questions. They're going to need you to ask those questions. And if you do it consistently, it gives them the opportunity to have a way into a conversation they really need to have without them having to be the brave one to bring it up. So really, I think of it as like, Hey, if, if I get shut down six times, that's okay, because one day I'm going to be on question three and they're going to share something that they really needed to share. And they were like, man, I hope Beth stops me today and asks me how, me, how I'm doing because I'm not okay and I need to talk to somebody about it. And adults need that. Yeah. We need people in our lives asking those questions, showing that they care and opening up the opportunity for us to share things that maybe we don't have the courage or feel like sharing yeah. and need that push. So, I, I mean, I think that's really powerful, Beth. Mm. So what do you, what do you ask them about? You can ask them about school. You can ask them about home. Mm -hmm. You can ask them. I mean, our favorite thing here is highs and lows. So I, do you remember that Bailey story with King? Yes. Well, if that's the one you're talking about, but I know there's a kid in our program who one day he came in and his coach didn't do their usual which is highs and lows as soon as he comes in and so he said to her like hey you didn't do the high and low today you didn't ask me how my day was and she didn't realize until he said that how much that meant to him because he never really it wasn't like a huge thing like he didn't ever engage and it was this beautiful like moment but it was just simple things and so to her it was just kind of a, something she's doing to try and be a good coach um, and she didn't realize how impactful it was until she didn't do it and he missed it so I, I thought that that story was like so compelling of the feeling that we don't recognize what's really impactful for kids yeah. because they're not necessarily going to tell you how meaningful it is. Mm -hmm. And the, the things that seem most menial and unproductive tend to be the things that are most powerful in, in a kid's life that we'll never get feedback about. Yeah. Like playing, like mm -hmm. we just talked about last episode, but also here, like giving kids opportunities to open up. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, I like, I like the focus on highs and lows because we, there's a comparison between things that are going well versus things that are not going well. Yeah. And that could be an environment thing. It could be a personal thing, like how they're feeling. But I, I think even just that contrast really helps a child understand 
the world better mm-hmm. of like not everything is wrong mm-hmm. with the world but also not everything's great but both of those are true mm-hmm. like there are there's good and there's bad and just that that concept of helping a kid process that every time you meet with them will incorporate thanksgiving as well as help them feel not alone yeah. within the things they've experienced that are negative like the the guy the brain guy I talked to Jim Wilder he was like the the primary indicator of trauma is a negative experience that you feel like only you know about mm. like that only you experienced that you you feel alone within and so if you're asking a kid his highs and lows more often than not he's going to be able to share the negative experience he's had and that will lead him to feel like he's not alone mm-hmm. that's also a really easy opportunity for you to share your highs and lows with the kid too and even just like stop right then and pray for those things and ask your kid to pray for your lows so that's just a really easy thing to build into your relationship as a routine yeah another practical on this is like just honing in on specific things and maybe the practical is just digging deeper don't just take their answer and move on Mm -hmm. like how could you dig into something they said and have them rephrase it or uh, Zach says this all the time. He says, tell me more about that. Yeah. That is a great question to ask a kid and that will help them develop emotionally mm-hmm. because when you ask that question, a kid's having to dig deeper within himself and imagine and understand himself in a deeper way. Mm-hmm. And they may not have an answer, but just the fact that you ask that question helps them grow the muscle of understanding themselves. Mm -hmm. And so that's the power of the emotional activity is that you're allowing them to think in a different way than they've had to before. Mm -hmm. Real quick on this, if you're mentoring a kid, who are the people in his life asking him emotional questions? Ask yourself that question. Mm -hmm. Who is asking your mentee about his highs and his lows? Possibly is his mom. Mm -hmm. Hopefully his teacher can you think of anyone else in this kid's life that that would be asking him emotional questions? And so the benefit of you asking them emotional questions, you may be doubling how many people in their life care about them emotionally yeah. by, by, by helping them th- in this way. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a powerful like encouragement for us to do it. Yeah. And a kid is not going to know that there's value in that until it's taught that that is a valuable thing to spend time on. And so just by you using some of your time that's limited time together to talk about that, that communicates to him, this is worth my time. Hearing about your hard day is worth my time. Yeah. I had, I had a, a moment with Tyree last year where he shared something difficult he was going through. And I asked him, how did that make you feel? And he, he just said something like, oh, it, it hurt. Like it hurt. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow. And we were praying at church. We do a church service at our mentoring program. And one of our other boys shared something difficult he had gone through. And Tyree spoke up and he just said, how did that make you feel? Mm, yeah. And like Tyree may not have like in asking that thought very much about what he was saying. But in asking it, I, th- I think it, it showed me like if you emotionally engage with a child, they'll begin to emotionally engage with others in in ways that they haven't before. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, that was something I thought about when you were asking who is asking these questions to our mentees is I, they are not asking that among their friends, but that's like they should. But who's going to teach them how yeah. to do that? Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, honestly, we want to keep this as simple as possible. That is your practical. Yeah. How are you checking in with your kid and developing this skill? And if you're not doing it, who who is in this kid's life? So understand your role in helping them grow in emotional health. And it, it doesn't have to be highs and lows, even though that's really simple. It could be what's good, what's bad, what's funny. Like just make it creative, but mm -hmm. try and figure out how to help your mentee distill the things that he's feeling, the things he's experiencing. And that process of practicing, explaining and understanding thoughts, emotions, feelings, I, I think is incredibly powerful for a kid and it and helps set them up for success mm -hmm. in life. Good. Any other thoughts, Beth? Just lean in, keep asking the questions, and embrace the awkward silences. Like that one? <laughs> I wasn't going to be the first. I was just going to let it sit. <laughs> oh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Keep the encouragements coming for Beth Winter on just her, her host abilities. And just really appreciate you mentors. We want to be an encouragement to you. Our next episode is going to be about spiritual activities to do with your mentees. So mentoring activities that increase their spiritual health. So we hope you listen to that. If you enjoyed today's podcast, share it with a friend or with your mom. We don't discriminate against moms. moms. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs>